Temp check. What kind of summer are we having this year? A family road trip summer? A beach bum summer? Or a wake me up when the sun sets summer? With Instacart, choose your own adventure and skip the shopping side quests. Where available, you can get ice cream delivered to your hotel, sunscreen to the pool, or cold brew to your bed. Well, door. In as fast as 30 minutes. Wherever you find yourself this summer, you can get the goods. Download Instacart for free delivery on your first three orders. Offer valid for a limited time. Minimum $10 per order. Excludes restaurants. Additional terms and fees apply. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Hi, before we start the show, let's talk about our Patreon page. If you're sick and tired of the commercials on the show, like the one I'm reading right now, I've got a solution for you. For just $15 per month, you can get the ultimate edition of this podcast. Here's what that means. The ultimate edition combines the free version of the show with the postmortem show that we record after the end credits. Plus, we take out all the commercials just for you. That means you get the hour-long free show plus the 20-minute postmortem show where all the real fun happens, and you get all of that without commercials for just $15 per month. That's support for this fully independent podcast. That's bobseskashow.com or just click the all-caps Patreon link beneath the logo at bobseska.com. And now, let the cartoons begin. Recorded live in the USA and covering the whole wide world. Right on! This is the Bob Seska Show, presented by BubbleGenius.com. From our nation's capital, it is Wednesday, May 5, 2021, and this is the interview edition of the Bob Seska Show on the Sexy Liberal Podcast Network. So today I thought we'd have an encore presentation of my interview with my friend and radio mentor, the great Buzz Burbank, also known as Mike Elston. This is especially for those of you who are just now discovering our podcast and want to know, who's that guy with the dad jokes on your Tuesday podcast? So on today's show, we'll talk with Buzz about his career covering the news every day for the last several decades and how he got started and how he eventually ended up on the Don and Mike show and soon after that in the brand new universe of podcasting. Meantime, if you like what you hear today, don't forget to subscribe to our bonus content at patreon.com slash show. Okay, here's our encore interview with the great Buzz Burbank. When you say Buzz Burbank, you've said it so, uh, I guess we'll start here. Exactly how many years were you doing the news total? In fact, I found as I was writing that piece last week for your last news and comment podcast, Buzz, that I wanted to write the number of years you had been in broadcasting, but I didn't know the total number. And also, I wasn't sure if you even wanted me to reveal the total <laughs> number. Like, sure. <laughs> like, yeah. how, like your birth date. You No one wants to like make public their their age after a certain point so i i know and i'm at that point but there's really no hiding it uh based on <laughs> when things happened in my life yeah I, I i decided 50 years was too much so i i quit at around 49 there you I go i think uh, <laughs> around 49 years yeah uh, uh so yeah better part of a half century certainly gotcha and uh and and so i can i'm sort of proud of that even though that automatically makes me old i'm, I'm proud of uh the career that 
was so lucky, so incredibly yeah. lucky, especially considering where I came from. I, I say, in hindsight, I wish I'd been born and raised in New York City mm-hmm. because my I, I think my career would have taken. Uh, I, I don't know. I just think it would have started sooner and gone faster and farther yeah. if that had happened. But as it was, I was born and raised in Wichita, Kansas, where at the time I got a fine education somehow, <laughs> and uh, uh, you know, and was and started college when when a, an out of town radio job swept me away. I, I started at uh, wow, you know. I mean, I was always interested in in radio. Uh, in fact, and, what, who, and TV. What what first inspired you? I mean, what was there a thing? Because I, you know, I remember for me, it was like you know, as soon as I watched WKRP, I said, right. you know what, Doctor Johnny, Fe- I want to be Doctor Johnny Fever. That's what I said when I was eight years old or whatever it was. What was your what was the first spark that said, "Hey, I like that. I want to do that." You know, I I, don't, I, the, I didn't know what else to do. I guess. I mean, I I applied at the radio station I had sort of grown up listening to. Ah, okay. Um, a, a top forty station. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, when I was a, a kid, and I, I mentioned this on my final newscast, it was my mom who spent a lot of time reading with me to me, and eventually mm-hmm. let me take over and. So uh, in 1958, when I started kindergarten or thereabouts, mm-hmm. um, I was way ahead of the other kids in terms of reading and reading aloud and reading aloud with meaning. Wow. Uh, and I just got it, you know, yeah. from the very beginning. So language, guys, language is vital for everybody. Mm-hmm. Because as, as Kennedy said, I think, uh, to communicate is the beginning of understanding. Yes. Uh, and and so to me, communication is just absolutely everything, and clarity of communication. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, and my mom listened. We had a, you know an old radio on the kitchen counter, and my mom listened to the Morning Mayor or whatever it was, you know, back in the day. And and one day we got on a bus for a dime and went downtown and saw the Morning Mayor broadcasting live from a sidewalk in front of a dime store. What is the and, what is a, a that was kind of cool. Yeah, and you know what I, when I first started my first paid job there was a guy on that radio station WEEU in Reading, Pennsylvania. There was a guy uh-huh. called the Night Mayor and I never understood what that was. What is <laughs> a mayor on the radio? <laughs> well, it's the guy in charge. It's the, oh, the, guy, the, top, the main guy. The, the, the top dude in town. Ah. And so uh, if you're the Morning Mayor, if you're a morning DJ and you're the morning mayor that you're the you're the top morning man in town and I I, I mean self proclaimed of course but uh, I in this case I I, I think it happened to be true yeah. and uh, that emanated from a three call letter station KFH mm-hmm. which stood for Kansas Finest Hotel ostensibly <laughs> uh, but it was uh, back in the days when they actually had three and these and it still has those three call letters today and there are other stations around the country with just three call letters but they're rare. Uh, anyway, uh, that, that station I would end up being at, uh, later in high school of the, on the FM side, Uh, I started out, uh, at at one point, my dad bought me a crystal radio set. You build it yourself. Only he built it for me being a former air traffic controller, uh, for the air force in Korea. Uh, I, so I, I watched him build it and then I spent many, many hours listening to it. And that's when I listened to uh, KLEO, a top 40 radio station Mm -hmm. and uh that's where you know i got to love the music and the djs and what they did and talking up records and i was also fascinated by theater of the mind and that would come in handy later but i remember sitting in the 
uh, junior high or high school uh, library in their audio room listening to Orson Welles' 1930-something, uh, 1939 broadcast of War of the Worlds. Wow. And, uh, and, and just being awestruck by what you could do with radio theater and uh, what the power of the theater of the mind. Yeah, there's something and, addictive about uh, that, too, yeah, isn't there? Yeah. Being and on the air. Yeah, it's is. just you, once you're on the air once, you've got to, oh, my God, I've got to inject that into my veins every day now. And I started showing interest in broadcasting and practicing it, and it it sort of came naturally to me. Yeah. Uh, and uh, then uh, I had an opportunity uh, to... Uh, I, I went to a radio station, a college radio station in my town, mm. KMUWFM, funny little station. At the time, its equipment was poor, to say the least, and we actually had to sign off when it rained because <laughs> <laughs> because when the tower got wet... From the rain, uh, we would our frequency, our signal would begin to drift up and down the dial, which the, the FCC frowns upon. <laughs> yeah, I imagine, uh-huh. <laughs> and and so do people trying to keep up with the station. Mm-hmm. So uh, we we had to sign up. But I was there one day. A friend was doing a Saturday morning music show, and I stopped by to see the place and hang out with the friend. And the friend says to me, "Oh, news time is is coming, and the guy isn't here yet." Hmm. And uh, so I thought, well, you know, I know a little bit about this. I'll go into the newsroom and, and kind of get him set up. Yeah. You know, and uh, so now you ripped the wire and, and sorted the stories into stacks of local, state, national uh, weather, sports, all that. So it would all be handy and the most recent stacked on top. And it was just all right there for who. And this is all like an old teletype, right? This is like a. Yeah. It's automatically getting beamed down, right? Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And so the guy never comes. And it's it's news time. And my friend says, you want to do it? And I said, sure. And so I, I went I put together the stories that I thought were important in the order I thought they ought to be to mm-hmm. make a, a newscast like a real newscast. And, and I did it. Wow. And I finished. And it went pretty well. And I, I stood up and I opened the door from the booth and the program director of that station was standing there. Uh, and he looked at me and said, who are you? <laughs> <laughs> in a, was it in a positive light or were he, was he about to call I, security i couldn't tell at the time but as it turned out it was a it was a positive it was okay. in a positive light i think okay. he was prepared to go either way i think that could have gone either way but uh but he was okay with what i'd done on the radio and so then i started applying at uh, the the radio station i applied once and Put on my suit and the bus took me out uh, to the ed- the outskirts of Wichita. If you can imagine, you've mm-hmm. seen the movie. Oh yeah, uh, you know, and uh, <laughs> and and I'm in my little suit walking through the heat and the dust to the to the radio station. It's like like the uh, radio station in Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? Right? Is exactly, that, that's the radio station exactly. I'm thinking if you of. Merged, yeah. If you merged those two movies, then <laughs> yeah, that would uh, depict it. Uh, but And the first time I, I applied there, I didn't get hired. Uh, the, mm. the program director, and this was my first evidence that program directors often don't know what they're talking about. <laughs> uh, yeah. Program director informed me that I, I didn't emphasize the verbs enough. I oh, walked to the store. Fine. I, you know, <laughs> so and I knew that was wrong. Yeah. So uh, I didn't get the job, but I also knew not to take his advice. And uh, on another occasion, I, I would apply there again and instantly get hired. It's really who they need at the time. And uh, I started out as a street reporter. No, I started out as a weekend anchor, mm-hmm. and so I, I made like a buck thirty an hour for a five-hour shift one day a week. I was working at a drugstore uh, through the week as a, you know, as a clerk. Yeah. Uh, and and. Uh, so this I did on the weekends, and then, and then one day the uh, the 
the street reporter got the the newsmobile. We had a, a little Volkswagen newsmobile with a big <laughs> antenna on it and yeah. the whole thing. And uh, he, he wrecked it. And that's when the police discovered he didn't have a driver's license. No. And so they came to me and said, you want to be a field reporter? And I said, well, sure. And so I added that to my duties. I was still a weekend anchor, but also a field reporter. Uh, and and eventually that morphed into like an afternoon drive news shift. And I I, I got sort of famous. Um, I, I would meet at that radio station a, a Methodist minister who was super cool, super hip mm-hmm. guy. Uh, he did a, a talk show and ultimately more than one there. And I ended up working with him very closely. And he and I became great friends. We covered rock concerts together, uh, right, you know, outdoor rock, uh, rock festivals. We did a, a series of specials on the prison system. He, he hosted a, a Sunday evening talk show called The Wallpaper Session that had higher ratings than its biggest competition at that time on any media, which was the ABC television Sunday night movie. Mm. So we were we we beat all of television and <laughs> including the top show That's incredible. at the time uh, with this little talk show he did. And then he left the show and I, I took over. I mean, I was the producer and uh, I took over as host when he left. And I learned a great deal from him. Uh, that same Methodist minister would later marry me and Marsha. How old were you at that point? Oh, I'm like, I, I, I estimating uh, 20, 20, 20, 20. and then covering rock yeah. festivals. I, I can only imagine yeah. how much of a bummer <laughs> that must have been. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, oh, well, no, another to, rock got, festival. Got to meet Wolfman Jack. I remember yeah. the, the special that I edited together, and it, it just started out something like it was a, a montage of, of various people. Yeah. speaking or yelling and i think it starts out uh, uh with wolfman jack saying i want you to put your hands on the radio and i guarantee you're gonna feel him <laughs> and and then it's followed by a woman screaming ice cold orange juice for acid freaks get it before you two burned out <laughs> and and that was that was how the that was how the special uh, started out and and so a lot of fun there and i just i learned so much and and so many people helped me and it was there that i decided that uh, there was value in making friends in in those situations with the younger people come who would come in after me because uh, my thought was, when I was old and decrepit, uh, they would uh, they would hire me. They would employ me, yeah, employ yeah. me somewhere uh, if I made a good impression on the new people that mm. were coming in. And uh, you know that that philosophy was still at work when I met you. Um, <laughs> okay, gotcha. You know, and and look and look at us now. <laughs> yeah, right. It, it worked out quite well, I think. Yeah, it it did indeed. Yeah, and uh, and and then one day I got a call from I, I when I when I signed on there I signed off as Mike Elston. Mm-hmm. And uh, the DJ that sat next to me, our glass, the glass was between us. Instead of us facing each other, we were really side by side with the glass between us. We could turn and look at the other guy. And he uh, banged on the window and uh, hit the intercom and said, uh, what's your middle name? What's your middle initial? And I said, mm. J. And he said, oh, use that. He said, Boss Jock is all the, the rage in Los Angeles. And he said, there's a guy out there called J. Paul Huddleston who signs off his newscasts with, this is J. Paul Huddleston, 2020 News. <laughs> and I thought, wow, that's pretty cool. So it became, <clears throat> and the format of the radio, all of the news anchors were to end their newscast saying, have a good day. Yeah. 
that was the that was the format. And so when I took it, I, I signed off with Michael J. Elston, KLEO News. Have a good day, and became known as you and I have discussed before as yeah. the Have a Good Day guy. Right. I would, I would go in and write checks. You know, Michael J. Elston. They go, Oh, you're the Have a Good Day guy. <laughs> That's amazing. And, and and I had a what is it, a Q rating or whatever. I had the, the the about the highest in town, if not the highest in town, before I before I would leave there and get called away. That same disc jockey who had pounded on the window and said I had, uh, should change my name uh, had moved to New Orleans and was working at a big station there. He knew of an opening at another station in the town and got me in there. And so I moved from this isolated life that I'd lived in Wichita, Kansas, where I was about to become a big fish in a little pond, mm-hmm. uh, to what I really wanted to do, which was move up in market size, because in those days, that's how uh, you moved, you got ahead. That's, oh, yeah. It, it, radio's changed since then. Boy, has it mm-hmm. ever changed. Yeah, no but, doubt. But at the time, that's that's how the game was played. And New Orleans was a markedly a larger market than Wichita, Kansas, obviously, and an exotic place that I couldn't wait to explore, and it was wonderful. I love New Orleans to this mm-hmm. day. And I worked with an amazing conglomerate of people there. Uh, these names, I don't know if they'll mean anything to anybody listening, but uh, Buzz Bennett was an insane, legendary program director. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I worked for for a while. Uh, <clears throat> Kevin Matheny, who would later be known as Pig Vomit, yeah. uh, thanks to, to it was the program director there for a while. And you're still and, and you're he, still in touch with him, right? You're still kind of no, Sadly, I, w- I wish that I were. Kevin yeah. has passed. Uh, oh, Kev- that's Kevin right. is no, no longer with us. Okay. But um, we were great friends for many years, and he would hire me again later at, at another station yeah. uh, in Philadelphia. But uh, New Orleans was a blast. And uh, t- uh, Tom Birch, who uh, is now a very famous uh, consultant, mm-hmm. uh, was one of the program directors or music director there. Uh, e. Alvin Davis, a disc jockey I had listened to in Wichita when I was a kid, w- was also there. I mean, I was amazed at this uh, collection of talent uh, that I was uh, among. And uh, so I, I learned a lot, uh, and that was a big deal. And it was there in New Orleans that the National Association of Broadcasters would hold its convention. Oh, so yeah. My my two tips to young, <laughs> young aspiring broadcasters, if there even is such a thing anymore, is one— uh, make it your own. Have a good day. Uh, <laughs> make something your own. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the other is get a job in a town where the NAB is holding its convention or any any radio in any radio group. Yeah. Uh, but uh, so I, I I was hired by Doubleday, the the book publishing company. They had a broadcast division. They owned a station in Minneapolis, and mm-hmm. I mean, so I went to Minneapolis for a while, where it was very cold. Uh, and then uh, Kevin hired me in Philadelphia, and that was a fascinating thing. The the station had originally been known as WIBG, which ostensibly stood for "I Believe in God." <laughs> it, its original, its original, its original broadcast license uh-huh. was issued before there was an FCC. It was issued by Commerce Director J. Edgar Hoover. Wow. Holy shit. Okay. And and it hung on the wall in frames, in a series of frames that went down the, the business hallway of the of the radio station. A historic building, a wonderful place in the suburbs of Philadelphia. Uh, and I worked with Kevin there and uh, s- some other wonderful friends and talented people. Uh, it was uh, later, it would at some point be called Wizard 100 and played... Uh, Top 40 rock, I think. It leaned more rock, but it was uh, a top 40 station. And uh, 
we it, it, at one point it, it the management decided it wasn't making any money and they were going to change it to a disco station. Yeah. Huh. I, I did not take that well. This company, Fairbanks Broadcasting, unbelievable organization. They we gave away one of our promotions. We gave away a, a Rolls Royce. Wow. Uh, what we didn't tell people is that it needed it. We we actually had it in the the Thanks Gimbal's Day Parade, this Rolls Royce that we were giving away, and it broke down in the parade. I have a photograph of a clown looking under the hood to try to figure out a guy in a clown suit. We got it. We're called Wizard 100, right? So you yeah. think, okay, they're mascots of wizard. No, the company got a deal on a beaver suit. Wow, so our mascot shit. for Wizard 100 was a beaver. <laughs> I mean, if this doesn't tell you how insane radio management could be, yeah, I know. this was it. And when they went disco, I unfortunately spoke my mind okay, and yeah. said, I think, and this is what I said to the program director and the, the people who had announced the change, the management who had announced, called us in to announce the change. I said, I, just my opinion, I think disco is going to end up in the corner over there with leisure suits and mood rings. <laughs> And you're there in Philadelphia in the 1970s. Right. Had right. the uh, the movement toward freeform rock radio already no. kind of hit the East Coast, or was that still exclusively well, kind of a West Coast thing and it never really Well, I, I, I wasn't aware of it. I mean, I stayed uh, sort of isolated in, in my world. I did uh, dabble on, a, on an FM uh, sort of freeform station in Wichita before I left there. Mm -hmm. uh, I was involved with a talk show there and had friends and, and that sort of thing hung out there. Uh, and uh, listen to them, certainly. Uh, and uh, New Orleans had such a station. When I was there, it was uh, WNOE, uh, which uh, the NOE stood for no, NOE as in uh, Governor No. We always had to say uh, WNOE, uh, Governor James A. No station. <laughs> uh, when, when, when we identified it, No is the governor who took over after the corrupt Huey P. Long was gone. Oh, okay. Uh, so uh, that's, and we and, and this place was in the French Quarter, which mm -hmm. was just great. Made it very convenient for Mardi Gras. And uh, I, re I remember if I, 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 brings back so many stories, I, I you know, I don't want to keep you too long, but but um, it was Mardi Gras, and uh, the AM DJ uh, on the AM side, the top 40 side, was leaning out the window. There was an openable window there, and he was leaning out the window sm smoking a joint. And over on the FM side, uh, he also had an openable window, and uh, that disc jockey was leaning out the window uh, smoking a joint. <laughs> uh, unfortunately, the, uh, there was no window in the news booth, but the newsroom office had a window, but it wouldn't open. Yeah. So I went to the stairwell. Bummer. I went to the stairwell where there was an off a uh, window that would open, mm -hmm. and uh, used that. Only uh, I, I I didn't calculate wind <laughs> air circulation very well <laughs> because instead of the smoke going out the window as it was for the DJs, uh, mine drifted down the stairwell and into the lobby where the general manager, his wife, and children had just arrived. <laughs> This was a Saturday, right? Oh, during during, during yeah. Mardi Gras. <laughs> so I, I hear I hear I hear nothing about it. And one day I get in the elevator with then uh, program director E. Alvin Davis and the doors close and it's just the two of us in the elevator. And as the elevator's going up from the first to the second floor, he says, You know, if you get caught smoking weed in the building again, I don't think I'm gonna be able to save your job. <laughs> That's so great. The, the yeah, door yeah. the door opened. And uh, we went our separate ways. Uh, I never heard about it again <laughs> until my exit interview with the general manager who was a cross between Orson Welles and Con uh, Colonel Sanders. Uh, Jesus. He, he, he wore bow ties that his wife made for him, and he spoke with a big southern accent, this guy did. And he said, you know, 
when you go to Minneapolis, they're not going to let you uh, smoke weed up there. <laughs> <laughs> oh, shit. Well, that's... He, uh, was, he was, of course, wrong, but... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, I mean, that's, that's, that even in my day, even when I was working in broadcast radio, substance usage at radio stations was still a rampant, oh, ongoing thing, and it, we it certainly enjoyed it. Yeah, it would, it would get worse for others around me, and I, I won't get into that because yeah. I don't want to incriminate anybody or, or uh, you know, denigrate anybody for that matter. Yeah. Uh, because I worked with an awful lot of good people. There was a, obviously a serious side. I mean, I was inspired at KLEO back in Wichita by Woodward and Bernstein and mm-hmm. uh, the, the whole Watergate story. Yeah. Uh, one of the first big stories I covered was the end of the Vietnam War, the, the signing of the, of the uh, peace accord. Uh, and that that ended the war, and then the next big story after that was, of course, Watergate. And you talk about those old teletype machines. I still have the strips of paper that I tore off the wire, uh, where they'd say a uh, flash. Nixon resigns. I've got that strip of paper from uh, incredible the U, from the UPI wire, along with other significant uh, things in history and, that, that I've witnessed. And you had pretty much carte blanche in the '70s at some of those early radio stations to choose whatever news stories you thought were important, and you could yes. prioritize. There was no mandate in terms of well, avoid this kind of crap. Don't get too political. Don't no you know. no. It never you know my almost my entire. Really, for all intents and purposes, my entire career was influence-free as far as uh, influence from sponsors or managers. Mm -hmm. I I had one incident uh, later in my career that, again, I don't want to... I don't want to put anybody in a tough spot. They did what they had to do. I did what I had to do. Mm. Uh, but but uh, the rest of my time was was pressure and influence free. Uh, uh, many of the stations where I would work, uh, I was the news department. Yeah. I was the news director, and I was the only employee of that department uh, in many cases. And in cases, you know, in the case of the first radio station where there was a staff, uh, they would, uh, you know, I, I just kind of knew how to behave. I mean, nobody ever came to me and said, do this, do that. But I knew basically what kinds of stories they were covering, what, you know, what, what should be covered. But I, I, mostly it was, I mean, you're in the room by yourself, so you get to decide. Yeah. Uh, and, and I never had any trouble with that. I do remember uh, breaking format on things that I remember uh, in clever ways, though, in, in clever ways that worked, that, that didn't really go against the spirit of the format, but violated the letter of the format. I can't think of a specific example, except that I remember the, the newsroom door uh, flying open and the program director sticking his head in and said, saying, if that were anybody else. <laughs> and so I, I, I got away with a lot of stuff that way. And then I got to be a news director with a staff, so I had that experience. But many many of the experiences uh, were just, uh, I, I play well by myself. I was an only child, so I, I'm cool with that. I can, I can do that. Was there any occasion where you just royally fucked up where you did something and you thought it was right at the time and then <laughs> you hear about it uh maybe that day the program director sticks his head back in the door again and I, says I, something to you or what n- nothing that i got in trouble for nothing yeah. that i got called for but i but i know of mistakes in chicago one time i reported on a verdict that hadn't been delivered yet oh no uh, fortunately, I was right. Oh, see, there. <laughs> and 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 even more fortunately, nobody said anything. Uh, <laughs> it's Chicago, yeah. So uh, you know, I I got away with that. Um, I tried to. There was. It seemed like there was one other sort of big mistake. Well, I guess it was. 
it, it goes to the incident that I cited where there was influence from management to do an interview with somebody uh, who was also a sponsor. Uh, the, in this case, the sponsor was a government agency. Mm -hmm. And uh, the, the uh, management was offering what they called value added at the time. And they had included me in their little value add. And then I was to do uh, an interview that I was opposed to doing. And I did it, and I was fierce, and I was mean. I was Mike Wallace. I was I was all over this guy, and I got to the end of it and realized uh, it, uh, it hadn't stuck to the tape. No, no. Yeah, and uh, and so I got in all kinds of trouble for that. But uh, you know, it wasn't you know it, this too shall pass, and it did. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, okay. Yeah, those, those are the only two big mistakes that, that come to mind. I mean, I've made little ones. Uh, when I was working in Chicago, I got a call one day from. Uh, the news director, I guess, of the uh, of the ABC television news office in Chicago. Mm -hmm. At the time, ABC had a three-anchor format where it was uh, Peter Jennings in New York, Max Robinson in Chicago, and uh, I guess uh, Reynolds, Frank Reynolds in Washington, something mm -hmm. like that. And uh, this was the studio where Max Reynolds did his set, and uh, he was out sailing one day. Uh, and uh, so the the facility was available, and I got a call from the news director who asked me about a mistake I'd made. And I said, "I'm just I'm here by myself. I, you know, yeah, you, you got me. It was some small thing, you know. He just wanted to know why I made it. And they said, "How would you like to come down and cut an audition tape?" <laughs> what, Shit, really? What, what the ABC Television Network, the ABC News, the National Network wants me to come downtown. Oh gosh, uh, you know, and when I after when I completed the taping, I mean, they dedicated the the teleprompter guy and everybody to me. I had the, the access to the whole staff. I wrote the script, and uh, sat down at the desk, and they did the lighting and the, the teleprompter and the makeup and it, and uh, rolled the tape. And I I did my audition tape, thanks to AB, thanks to the guy who was running ABC, the bureau in Chicago, bureau chief, I guess it was. <laughs> And, uh, and, oh, man, I, I, I drove home on a cloud on Lakeshore Drive. Yeah. It was, I think, the highest moment I've ever felt. Now, nothing came of it, of course. And I did send copies of the tape around the country to smaller markets like Kansas City and that sort of thing, thinking. But at the time, I still had a bit of a fro, a bit of an afro. <laughs> and I Shocking. had a very, a very neatly trimmed beard, which we weren't doing on TV yet. So yeah, yeah. I, I had, a, a for, at the time, by the, those standards, a, a rough appearance that I think probably kept me but it's it's a good audition to this day i feel good about it and you know what i think i've seen it i think when <laughs> i was interning for you at jfk i, I went I to your house you one to night and had it. dinner with I, you yeah I, you and marshall i made you watch it yeah yes. i did i saw it i, I remember distinctly <laughs> seeing it and one of the things that impressed me was the fact that you were able to read a prompter that's not the easiest thing in the world that's a, and a major adjustment from doing news on the radio is now you've got to stare into a camera you've got to do all the tricks that we see in broadcast news with sitting on the jacket and all the rest of it was that intimidating i mean were you able to practice no, on a prompter no. in some way I, I it just it was something i felt i knew and my feeling was correct yeah. i just i knew i could do it i knew i would do it i knew it would be good and it was and i did and uh, that was all there was to it uh, i i just i'm I guess I'm sort of a natural at that, although I, I feel like I've had that instinct since I was like six years old. Yeah. Uh, I, I just, I was, it was just what I was made to do. Mm -hmm. And it's funny because in the final years of my newscast, especially as the scripts got longer and longer, oh man, did they get long. Uh, they were uh, typed in uh, large print uh, on, a, on a document, uh, yeah. you know, like a Word document. 
and uh, I would scroll it myself as I read it, uh, teleprompter style, uh, doing doing the news. Oh, you know, in, okay. In the, in the final years, so I I ended up reading a teleprompter even if it wasn't on TV. Yeah. I had a vo- I had a face uh, that was perfect for radio. Apparently. <laughs> oh man, well that, that's again as I said that must have been uh, so exhilarating it all at once. Uh, oh, it was uh, disappointing because it didn't really eh. evolve in anything. Yeah, but or- see the, the the exhilaration came in a it came like a, a punch. You know, yeah. it came it came powerfully and all at once. The disappointment was trickled out over time yeah, so yeah. it wasn't it wasn't quite as devastating you know and not terrible and you know what I, the other thing i want to say is i i ended up preferring radio and you say well sure he preferred it he couldn't get on in tv uh no i prefer it because it is pretty autonomous that if you screw up it's on you yeah uh, in television if you screw up there could be six other people involved in that screw up mm-hmm. uh i i i don't always i mean i've seen what i've seen the terrible things that can happen to tv anchors on the air <laughs> uh, because somebody the prompter operator or whoever uh screws up or some piece of equipment out of their uh, the anchor's control screws up yeah well you just don't have that problem so much in radio you're you've got control of everything yeah and in fact that's one of the reasons why i don't do video to go along with my show right now because there's that extra dimension the visual dimension that you have to be aware of and constantly thinking about and adjusting <laughs> for and i don't i don't have that level of coordination i just can't do I got, it i can't coordinate I got, the, the the vocal aspect of it the thought aspect of it and then the visual aspect but it's just one thing too many. I got shouted down once by uh, Don Geronimo. We were doing a remote uh, somewhere in the Washington, D.C. area, and uh, they had us on camera, you know, mm-hmm. just like closed circuit in the club or wherever we were, a restaurant, wherever we were yeah. doing this remote. And uh, so the, the camera was on me uh, during the news segment. So although I did not have a teleprompter, I read from the script to the camera, uh, old style, mm-hmm. uh, the way Hankers did it like in the 1950s. <laughs> yeah. And Geronimo came over and said, what are you doing? What are you doing? What are you doing? Oh, Why are you, do- <laughs> you know? So I had to like not look at the camera yeah. and finish the newscast. But uh, yeah, one I, of uh, I, I, I enjoy doing it. It just comes naturally to me. I, I, my eyes go right to the center of the camera and I go. One of many incidences where I, you know you're offered a direction and no rhyme or reason for the direction. <laughs> like, right, you know what I mean? Right. Yeah, and that would happen from program directors and and even general managers from time to time. You know, you'd realize, mm-hmm. oh, this guy has no clue what he's talking about. <laughs> well, know? speaking of Geronimo, I guess we can get back into the time. How did you end up landing in Chicago? Was that uh, was that your next step? I mean, was that because that's kind of we're into the so early lucky. '80s now, right? So uh, I mentioned this Tom Birch guy back in New Orleans. Yeah. Well, he was programming a station in uh, Oklahoma, and uh, there was a woman who worked there by the name of Karen Hand. And one day, uh, Tom Birch gave her a tape of my newscast and said, "Listen to this and learn from this guy." Wow! And and I was not aware of any of this, right? Yeah. yeah. And uh, so Karen listens, and she loves it, and she goes, "Oh, yeah, absolutely! I'm going to do what this guy does." And so she sort of trained herself to do what I do, kind of the way I. I do it. And uh, as it turns out, I was uh, in Chicago. I don't remember how, I, I guess, air checks. Uh, the San Diego station fell apart. I, it went from Philadelphia to San Diego. Oh. After my after my leisure suit comment, uh, <laughs> I, I asked the program director directly, do I have a future here? And he said, frankly, no. 
And so I went home feeling pretty dejected, you mm-hmm. know, because yeah. uh, I knew uh, firing was imminent. And I went home, and as I'm opening the apartment door, the phone's ringing, and it's a program director in San Diego wants me to send a tape. Incredible. And and I and I got hired there, and uh, loved Southern California. Uh, you know, I would have liked to have ended up there, but it's expensive, and it. It keeps catching on fire, and then mudslides put out the fire. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, I mean, what's impressive is that you actually were recruited, and that so seldom happens in radio, at least from, from my experience. I, I'm, that, I'm, I was the same way with radio yeah. stations that I was with girls. I mm. waited for them to come to me. Yeah, it's like Larry King. But make them call you. Don't call them. <laughs> but, they have but to it call wasn't, you. It, it wasn't about that, really. It yeah. was a fear of rejection, I think, in both cases. And also sort of the attitude, look, I've got a job. I'll do the best job that I can with it, and if it leads to something else, mm-hmm. cool. Yeah, that's that's great. And you know, and I talked about the serious reasons that I pursued journalism, but there was also uh, being associated with Top Forty and Rock Radio. Uh, there was a, a very showbiz aspect to uh, a lot of my years. And uh, a lot of my years, I was kind of in it for the sex, drugs, and rock and roll. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah, and yeah so, of course. They, so they're, they're, it's a multi-layered career. Uh, <laughs> but I, I, I don't remember how I – oh, yeah, well, Karen Hand. Uh, yeah. I, somehow I ended up in Chicago. I don't recall how. Maybe through air checks. Worked at a, a, a radio station owned by the Mormons uh, for a while. Uh, that played music everybody could agree on, even the boss. <laughs> and uh, I remember the news director there, worked for a news director there. It was not completely autonomous. So I didn't get bossed around a lot. My work was autonomous. But mm-hmm. uh, he put me on probation uh, uh, on the same week that I won the, the uh, Associated Press Award for the best regularly scheduled newscast. Incredible. And so I was both an award winner and on probation all at the same time. <laughs> but the probation and, was just, was not because you were being punished, was it? It was just because right. they were testing you out, right? <laughs> you know, I don't know. No, I think it was a warning. I think it was, you oh. know, I, whatever it was, and I don't even recall. Okay. Uh, it was like, uh, you do something like that again and you're out. Oh, I think oh. it was that kind of a probation. I see. So I was, I was both under threat of firing and winning awards for the station <laughs> all in the same week. Jesus. It's a very Keith, very Keith. Keith Olbermann kind of existence. Fucking radio, man. Yeah. Oh, I know. It's insane. And anyway, uh, somehow I get a call from Karen Hand. I, I guess I send out feelers in town because uh, I'm tired of moving. Because mm-hmm. uh, I've gone from Wichita to New Orleans to Minneapolis. Up, to up and down the dial. Yeah. To San Diego to Chicago. Mm-hmm. And uh, Karen Hand calls and goes, oh, I'd love to hire you. And uh, she and I ended up, uh, she was pregnant at the time, and so she was away. I was the sole anchor for a while, and then she returned, and we co-anchored, and together we were the best co-anchor team radio ever saw. Wow. We were a well-oiled machine. Hmm. It was so much fun, and we did so much good, good work uh, there together and had uh, sort of newsroom discussions that you and I would ultimately have at, at JFK. But uh, just did some really good work, and Chicago is just just a blast. And I was there probably uh, long. Well, I was there longer than any place other than D.C. Yeah. Uh, and then and then uh, and then I, suddenly at the age of thirty five, on my thirty fifth birthday, the program director Buddy Scott called me into his office and said, uh, "I guess you know this isn't working out." And uh, I I did not know that. Uh, and, and I was I was stunned, and I was I was let go. Uh, the ratings were, I guess, not what they hoped for, and I was the scapegoat for it. Uh, was there focus group testing at that point? I mean, how were they able to pinpoint I, there, it down there, to you there, there and Karen? Yeah, Buddy said one time. I remember him saying, "You know, someday I'm going to have a big readout on the wall." <laughs> 
and I'll be able to see exactly how people react to everything <laughs> the DJ says. And if the DJ says something that, that, that pisses people off, I can pull them off the air. <laughs> I mean, that's how, Shit. that's how, that's the kind of madness that was at yeah. work there. I mean, he just knew nothing about managing people, sadly. Mm. Uh, nice guy otherwise, but I guess, but uh, anyway, I, I, no, I did not know that. And on my 35th birthday, I was an unemployed, um, uh, unemployed from a top 40 radio station. Yeah. An unemployed yeah. DJ, I guess. And so I sent out tapes. I was unemployed for seven months and talk about feeling uh, depressed and dejected. I mean, it was a horrible experience that I, I understand people who go for long periods without being able to find work, what that's like. Uh, but, and in radio, it's even tougher because mm -hmm. you take it personally. Yeah. It means they don't like you if they're not hiring you. Yeah. And that's, and you like being liked is what you're in it for. And it's a lot easier to get hired someplace else if you're actually working at a radio station when you I've get hired that. at the other place, right? I've or heard no. that. And I would, I would hear that again. Uh, I, I ended up in Albany, New York as a morning DJ. Yeah. Oh, and, yeah, yeah. And, Work, working for a company. I mean, I sent out air checks. I had worked as a DJ and a newsman at that point. And so desperate for work. Uh, seven months, I was sending out air checks uh, all over the country, even to Guam, uh, uh, any place but Detroit. Or, or, you know, I think I was open to going to. Uh, and, uh, I, you know, I, I, I finally got a job as a, a morning DJ in, in Albany, New York. And uh, that the, the interesting thing, the only thing I'll say about that company is that uh, at one point uh, it it was uh, the whole station was spectacular, but it was opened on a on a bank loan on a like a ten million dollar <laughs> loan, and uh, the 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 owner defaulted on the loan, and so the radio station was taken over by the bank, and then something went horribly wrong at the bank, and the bank was taken over by the FDIC. So at one point I was a federal DJ. Okay, we'll get back to our encore conversation with Buzz Burbank here in just one second. But first, here's Stephanie Miller. OMG, I am using a new skincare system that I absolutely love. People say puffiness and bags under the eyes are the hardest things to get rid of. Until now, introducing Genucel Plant Stem Cell Therapy from Chamonix, specifically targeting eye puffiness and bags. Due to new technology, Genucel is an incredibly powerful natural serum, and with its instant effects, it's guaranteed to show results in as little as 12 hours or your money back. That's right. Users saw results in only 12 hours with dramatic improvement in two weeks. A true Chamonix classic, Genucel contains eight extra ingredients to significantly reduce the appearance of bags and puffiness. Plus, Genucel uses patented plant stem cell technology to improve longevity and brilliant long-term results. You can try Genucel right now absolutely risk-free. Go to lovegenucel.com slash Stephanie. Enter that special promo code Stephanie for an extra 10% off. Order now and get the legendary Genucel XV face cream absolutely free just for trying Genucel today. Chamonix, the best skin care best results or your money back that's love genucel g-e-n-u-c-e-l dot com slash stephanie love genucel dot com slash stephanie the bob seska show you know i'm just i'm hearing these stories and i'm thinking even in its glory days radio was held together with gum and scotch tape <laughs> exactly you know what i mean <laughs> exactly exactly and and that's when i heard from geronimo uh, who said uh, you know we want to share the wealth uh you know come, come on down to work with us i had been on a part of a DJ, a morning show network where guys shared bits, you know, comedy bits that they'd developed oh, uh, right. with one yeah. another so that I, I could write a top five list and it would be used all over the country. I, my specialty, and the, the, the other guys on the network love this, was writing monologue jokes, believe it or not. You can't tell it from your show, but <laughs> at, one, at, at one point... At one point, I was writing genuinely funny monologue jokes that you would hear later that night on the the Tonight Show and and Letterman and so on. 
Uh, but I just I had the opportunity to get them in or get them out there sooner. Oh, yeah. And so I was able to use them. And the, the other disc jockeys loved these one-liners because they were short enough you could read over the lip of a record, yeah. over the intro of a record. So uh, that, that's how Geronimo knew I was out there and what I was capable of. And uh, and and had me because I'd worked with him in Chicago. He was one of the six morning men I'd worked with there during my time there. <laughs> so typical. Uh, and and uh, so I went down to D.C. and ultimately we'd get to work in New York City as well. Uh, so for a guy from Wichita, uh, when I signed off in Wichita, my last newscast, I said, "But I'll be back if I have to use ABC, NBC, or CBS to do it." Hey, and yeah. In, and in the end, it was CBS uh, that mm. distributed uh, uh, the Don and Mike show. Uh, across the country and uh, allowed me to work in New York and broadcast nationwide. So you ended up back with Don Geronimo at WJFK in, right. what was that, 1991 or so? Is it 1990, yeah, 91? Yeah, 91. I think yeah. December 90, something like that. Yeah, so for all intents and purposes, 91. Yeah. That was a, that was a funny deal. Ken Stevens, some people will remember the yeah, name, I some do. won't. Yeah. But he was the general manager at the time that I was hired. He heard my tape. He called me. He said, you, you don't suck. <laughs> Which I thought was I knew I was in, Asshole. you know, when when I heard when I heard that, yeah. and then and then I worked there for a month, and they put me up in a, they put us up in a hotel near the airport, uh, and, and we lived in and we had the VCR, and uh, they brought in an extra refrigerator. They let us have the cats. We had plants, live plants, with us that we crammed into this hotel room, <laughs> where we actually wrapped because it was December. We did our Christmas wrapping on the on the beds there, mm-hmm. you know, to send out uh, gifts to people around the country, and uh, but I lived there for like a month at the hotel and uh we were waiting for our reimbursement check i guess and also waiting for my first paycheck and after like a month i i went into the general manager's office and and i said when when can i expect that first paycheck and he goes you haven't been paid yet <laughs> oh shock i can't believe it That's such an outrage yeah so he, he sent me he sent me down to the comptroller's office who uh who got me set up and and the money started pouring in, yeah, uh, yeah. you know, the reimbursements and the back pay and, and all the things that have built up. Somehow we managed to stay afloat during that period of time, but that was a, a funny start to a, to a career there. So it was Don brought you in, but it was really WJFK that hired you. So you were kind of right. loaned out to other shows on that station, right? So you I were was, doing news for Gordon Liddy, right? Right, and, G. Yeah. Gordon Liddy, right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And yeah. so that, yeah, was, that was interesting. Yeah. I was part of his 25th anniversary Watergate break-in show we went i went with g gordon liddy christ let me say this again i went with g gordon liddy to the watergate hotel oh my where, god where we did a show i have an ashtray that you will someday inherit okay it says the watergate hotel wow uh, it's a very very nice ashtray oh my god uh and and uh, i actually was part of that uh and then a tug of war uh would ensue between uh, liddy and geronimo and mm-hmm. because geronimo brought me down yeah. there uh, yeah. and because he was very powerful and influential because his show was uh such a money maker for the network mm-hmm. that uh, he, he got his way, and and uh, they. But you know, you'd think it would be fun to have people fighting over you, and you'd think, well, you know, bid high, bid to buy. Uh, but but it, it really wasn't. It really wasn't pleasant at all. And, yeah, uh, no. You know, yeah, so I, I left out a part of the story in Albany after that radio station fell apart. You know, taken over by the bank, taken over by the feds, etc. Yeah, yeah. Started looking for work again. Came across Geronimo. Uh, Ken Stevens heard the tape, said it didn't suck. But then we were waiting, and it's like Thanksgiving. Eve and I don't know 
you know, I don't know what we're doing. Uh, <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm unemployed. I've, I've given my, you know, I've got a truck lined up. And so I called my agent. I had an agent at that point, you know, for Everest in Chicago. I called my agent and said, what do I do? Well, I've got the truck. The truck's going to be loaded tomorrow. Where do I point it? Mm-hmm. You know, I had a plan B in case there was no job. Yeah, I yeah. was going to go back to Wichita, of all places, until, you know, I could come up with something. But so I called the agent. I said, "Where do I point the truck?" And he said, uh, "Why don't you drive it on down to DC?" Yeah. And I said, "Oh, we got the job." And he goes, "Why don't you drive it on down to DC?" <laughs> Shit. That's that's how tenuous my hiring was at yeah. WJFK. That would lead to this incredible, amazing job where I got to do uh, theater of the mind uh, through the Donna Mike show. Yeah. Uh, and be part of that. And oh my gosh, how gratifying that was, and how gratifying to be part of a show that, that was that big. Uh, and uh, I, you know, I owe them. I owe Don in particular uh, thanks for mm. for uh, providing that opportunity. Uh, I. I I feel less thankful because of what uh, many of us who worked with him and for him had to endure during the years that followed. Yeah. Um, you know, so I, I, I don't want to get into the details of that, but uh, for all the greatness of it, uh, there was a good deal of <sighs> stress. What's the right word? Yeah, stress. <laughs> Demoralization. Yeah, a little of that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah a sprinkle of that, but yeah. uh, it was tough. It was tougher than it looked. And I know it was an amazing show that means so much. That meant so much to so many people. Me and included. I get it. Yeah. I totally, I totally get it. I, I do. Uh, I just, I don't quite share the same feeling. Yeah. Yeah. I remember now. first hearing you on that show and I'm thinking, oh, this guy, Buzz Burbank, he's the new David Haynes because that's who I was familiar right. with doing the news on the old Don and Mike morning zoo at WAVA right. in Washington. Right. They had this guy, David Haynes. When you were asked to use the radio name Buzz Burbank, which happened when you went to WJFK in Washington, what was your reaction to that name? Because you, up to that point, you had never used any name but your own name. Were right. You, right. Were you embracing of that idea, being called no. Buzz Burbank, or yeah, were you I mean, bristling he, yeah. at it? You know, I, yes, of course. I mean, you know, when your livelihood depends on it uh, and someone asks you or someone tells you that yeah, that's going to yeah. be your name, uh, you say, yes, sir. Yes, it is. That is my name. Mm-hmm. That is correct. And you just uh, I, I didn't really care for the name. Uh, I don't. I associate uh, the name Buzz with somebody like an astronaut or somebody who has a buzz cut. <laughs> yeah. You know, uh, I picture that's the kind of buzz I picture when I hear the name Buzz. Mm-hmm. That could just be me. Yeah. And I know it's taken on new meanings since then. <laughs> but uh, at the same time, I have to say the name has been very, very good to me. Yeah. And uh, I eventually registered it as an AKA uh, with my with my banks and financial institutions so that should anyone write a check to Buzz Burbank that I would... I would be able to sign it and, and cash it. Yeah, yeah. And so did Liddy also call you Buzz Burbank, or did he? He did Buzz. Buzz, Buzz. okay. It's a happy shop we have here, Buzz. <laughs> See, I'm pegging him as being uncomfortable with it, too. Like, that's not something that he would do, no, necessarily. No, no, because that's, uh, he probably knew guys named Buzz. I mean, it, 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 I don't think that would be incongruous for him at all. Yeah, okay. Uh, no, he had no no problem with that, and for all he knew, that was my name. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> so yeah, so I ended up uh, joining you in the newsroom in 1993. In fact, I first started working as an intern for Don and Mike specifically for that spring semester. But I found myself more and more often gravitating toward you and the more comfortable environment of the newsroom as opposed to the broadcast studio, which never for quite... Which, yeah. For which I am very grateful because you were the first uh, intern mature enough and interested enough in what was going on on my side of the glass. Uh, and it was just nice to have somebody to talk with, <laughs> uh, you know, because you're a little isolated uh, from the, the main control room yeah, in that yeah. situation. But but no, you were just the right guy. You know, you were... you you. You you deserved, unlike any others, you deserved to be there. You and so I was. I wanted to make the most of it for you. Yeah, and I was still new enough to not be toxic yet. So that was another upside. Another reason we got along is because at that point I was still very you know wet behind the ears. I, I the first time I ever cracked the microphone uh, publicly on my college radio station was like four months before that, and so I wow. was br- like brand new. I was completely green. Good, so we got that, you early. <laughs> well, yeah, but I mean, that's one of the reasons why, and I, I mentioned this in the commentary last week, one of the reasons why, uh, and of course it has so much to do with you as well and your professionalism and your yeah. talent as a broadcaster, but that was one of the reasons why you were so incredibly influential on my overall style, which, you know, has a you know a little bit of Howard Stern in there, a little bit of Don Geronimo in there, a little bit of David mm-hmm. Letterman in there, and, right. and we actually, we have that in common. We have that influence of David Letterman that yeah, we do. I think was one of the first entryways into our friendship where we would you know be in the newsroom talking about letterman bits whether they were happening last night on the show or you know years and years earlier on uh, I, you know another you know, thing I, he was doing achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with bite clear aligners just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking what's your secret Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. I, maybe people have noticed this, uh, like when I'm doing jokes or even uh, talking on your show. Yeah. Uh, a lot of times I am sort of channeling him, not on purpose. I, I have to tell you, the first time I saw Letterman uh, and fell in love with his work mm-hmm. uh, is that he was saying what I was thinking and he was looking at things the way I was looking at things. And so I just really identified with that. And I've always admired his humility. Yeah. Uh, and I've learned from that. I think another great teacher of humility uh, has been uh, the, from The Daily Show, John John Stewart. Yeah. Uh, and he taught it to John Oliver and, and he taught it to Stephen Colbert. Uh, and uh, now they are the same kind of incredible, wonderful bosses that John Stewart was, and and that really underscores the influence you can have on on somebody. And I, I hope my influence has been positive on you. I still haven't gotten over the the things you said about me, and I, I you know I'm still trying to figure out how to respond. Well, to that. It's, well I, and I you know what? It's strange. I feel like whatever it was that I said, I feel like it wasn't enough. And not to get too soupy here or anything like that, but I got to the end of it, and I was like. You know, I could probably do another five thousand words. On it this. was the yeah. longest. It was the longest commentary you've ever submitted to Buzz Burbank News and Comment. <laughs> at, right. at, at seven minutes, I thought it had gone on plenty long. 
That's true. <laughs> you know, uh. but 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 I did hear from a lot of people, and I know you have too. Uh, who said, yeah, you, you, you said it very well. You said it very nicely. Uh, I, I, you know, I guess to some degree I, I was a little surprised at just the, the level of, uh, sort of admiration that you were showing for me there. And, yeah. uh, that, that caught me a little bit more off guard. I mean, I knew you, uh, admired me on some levels, uh, that really went down the list and, and knocked me over. Well, I, I mean, admired. Yeah, absolutely. I flagrantly stole from you <laughs> as soon as I, Good. cause as soon as I left WJFK and went back to college, I was in college for another two semesters, graduated and then got right. my first job in radio, uh, mm-hmm. mid 1994. And part of that was doing the news. Cause I was hired at an AM full service radio station where I would play music and I would read, uh, you know, public service announcements and I would right. do the news and I was eventually able to do basic. I did the first iteration of the Bob Seska show on that radio station and wow. you did all of the bumpers for me. I remember <laughs> I'd call you Always. up and you'd send me a reel. It was obviously before the internet and you would send me a reel of all these different things saying something about the Bob Seska show. And so I used that. But I mean, when I was doing the news, I was channeling you. I was thinking I would even sit at the microphone in the newsroom or in the broadcast booth the same way that you would do it because that was really Uh, 1,000% my experience. What's that? I don't get that. How did I sit? What is that like? Well, there there was something. I remember one time, it was not during the news, but I remember one time you just, you were sitting so politely with your hands folded in front of you on the desk. And I remember we had talked about that. I said, that's interesting. You look very polite, Buzz. And you say, yeah, I'm feeling very polite or something along those lines. So I used to sit like that myself when I was delivering the news because partly, uh, I'm half Italian, so I'm my hands are flailing around. Right. Otherwise, and, and so. over the years, over the years, I've added gestures. I I did gestures when I would do the news, yeah. and part of the reason for that uh, is because Marsha would be sitting right across from me, uh-huh. and so I was making eye contact with her as I was reading my little teleprompter on the computer screen in front of me yeah. to uh, record the newscast, and uh, so I would I would gesture, but I I did begin to gesture more over the years. I felt like maybe it added something to the audio uh, delivery of what I was saying to, yeah. to be able to do that. But it's also very good discipline to sit neatly with your hands folded. <laughs> <laughs> yes, well, it was also the way you ran the board and the way you uh, cued a, a cart with an actuality on it. All those things are things that I picked up on and still, cool. to so whatever cool. extent, I still you know utilize the same sort of process with a board and everything like that, sound effects. I still have similar motions that have, you know, have their origins in watching you do it and imitating you. You know, even some of the verbal things like wrapping up the newscast with one final kicker story and starting out with, and finally, and I, that's, <laughs> you know, and then I would do, a, I'm Bob, I'm Bob Seska on WEEU. I'm Buzz right, Burbank. Right. I would do the same cadence. And <laughs> it was just right stolen well, I'm, directly. I'm, I'm actually glad for most of those things because I would hope that I would be able to share some of my knowledge uh, with with somebody else, just as at that very first radio station, I'll never forget Rick Gannon, uh, disc jockey, uh, who again no longer with us, but he's the man who taught me how to splice tape. Oh yeah. And we we edit much differently today. We do it electronically on screen on our computers, mm-hmm. but uh, it's actually very much the same. Oh yeah. And and uh, but he taught me how to use a razor blade and splice tape and and edit things. And I like to think I became pretty good at that. And the thanks goes to the guy who didn't have to take the time to teach me that. He That's had, right. There was nothing in it for him. 
There was no reason for him to help this guy other than he believed in this guy. Yeah. And uh, wow, yeah. that's just everything, isn't it? Oh, yeah, exactly. And I still remember the little ditty you taught me about a reel-to-reel tape. And it was, uh, you know, what you do in radio is you, there's different colored tape that you use <laughs> on the reel to hold it together. So at the very front of the tape, you use, or at the very front of the, the actual audio tape, you use a piece of red tape and you put that at the head. And then uh, you use the blue tape to secure it in the middle to the actual plastic of the reel. And so the ditty was redhead, blue tail fly. And so I still, that's something I still remember (laughs) to this day. And I remember the exactly where I was standing in the WJFK newsroom when you imparted that little ditty to me. (laughs) Well, and Bob, that's uh, invaluable information because if reels of tape ever come back into our lives, you're going to know that rule. So help. I'm glad I may as well have taught you algebra. (laughs) So just, uh, I don't know how you are on time. Uh, Just a couple more things here. Um, so Don retired after a terrible, terrible family tragedy. Tragedy, indeed. And so the Don and Mike show disappeared and uh, became the Mike O'Mara show on WJFK uh, for a couple of years. And then that became a podcast after it was no longer viable on WJFK. Uh, well, uh, am I skipping? Was, I'm skipping over a lot, whether, right? No, I just I would take issue with whether it was viable. Uh, okay. Management made a decision to cut the overhead. I see. Uh, they they had a lot of uh, well paid personalities who were well paid because they were very good and they brought ratings. And mm-hmm. after years, after years, decades of telling us that ratings were everything, one day management came in and said. Ratings don't count anymore. Oh, shit. It's, it's strictly revenue. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're going sports with some young kids who will give their left arm to be on the radio and will pay us to let them be on the radio, so we have to pay them very little. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we're going to save a gazillion dollars, and uh, we'll be able to sell beer ads and tire ads because yeah. we're sports. Uh, and uh, so uh, suddenly, uh, when ratings were everything, one day ratings were nothing. And uh, so that is why that is why the, the Michael Mary show and other shows like it vanished from WJFK and were replaced by cheap sports. And, you know, it's a shame that it had to go away the way it did because... You know, for all intents and purposes, I think Mike did a pretty good job. And obviously, with your help and, and Rob's help, yeah. th- the show was pretty good and actually kind of filled the same Don and Mike itch. It's kind of scratched the same itch that the Don, the old Don and Mike right. show did. It just had, it didn't have Don as, as part of it. And maybe that was. Uh, I don't know, the fly in the ointment. But, uh, you know, I thought it was a decent show. And then it became a podcast after JFK went sports. A very successful one, I might add. I mean, uh, for the time that I was there, we were making pretty good dough considering Mm -hmm. it was a pie. I didn't even know that was possible. Yeah. And uh, Mark Ronick, who would later steer the Realm Network, is responsible for monetizing uh, that newscast, uh, that uh, that uh, podcast company, or that particular podcast, uh, the Mike O'Mara Show, uh, suddenly started making money, uh, and and I I'm proud to say I brought my Mark aboard. Uh, I said, "Hey, anybody see this resume we got from a guy <laughs> named Mark Ronick?" And mm-hmm. uh, no, they hadn't. And we brought him in, and we talked to him, and we hired him, and and uh, suddenly we we were making, like I said, pretty amazing money. For, for just a dumb podcast. Yeah, know? yeah. And uh, but but people loved it and a lot of subscribers and it, it, it made good money and uh but but it was uh 
uh, at a certain point, I'd, I'd had enough, and I, yeah. you know, I, I called my financial advisor, started calling her regularly, and said, "Can I retire yet?" And she'd say, <laughs> "Well, no, not, not, not yet." Yeah, you know? and and the one, uh, yeah, I'd, uh, every couple of months, I'd call her and ask her this. Uh, because I was really done, you know, yeah, yeah. Uh, with with doing that particular thing, and um, one day I called and she said, "I said, can I retire yet?" And she said, "Well, yeah, maybe." <laughs> and I said, "Perfect. That's all I need to hear. Thank you." <laughs> and I gave my I gave my final notice and and left the show. And and, and I wish it could have been received more pleasantly. Uh, and I'm yeah. sorry that it wasn't. Uh, I, I I miss. Uh, well, that's, at, least see, one, that's, at least one of those folks. Right. And, you know, look, that, that's one of the major differences between the podcast universe and the broadcast universe. And broadcasting was very toxic in terms of interactions with uh, com certainly competing DJs, but maybe even DJs who are on your same station, where it was just very, very cutthroat, very resentful environment. And podcasting seems, and I don't know if this is necessarily your experience yes, from the Mike O'Mara podcast, but yeah. it, it just it seemed like podcasting was a little more amicable in terms of dealing with people. It's, but but, it's yeah. a more it's a more intimate meeting uh, medium because we were uh, interacting more with people online, mm -hmm. and so you really could get feedback and personal involvement. Uh, so it, it, radio, being uh, to that point the most intimate medium there was, podcasting became the most intimate medium, yeah. and so that was that was cool and exciting and and a lot of fun and and another factor in in, in its success. Was it an adjustment for you uh, going from broadcast to podcasting where you no. uh, this, this no. is this is strange just, you, or weird it's or what? just like being on the radio and so yeah. was my podcast which is a newscast and so is doing your show mm -hmm. it it feels exactly the same as yeah. doing radio to me and as long as there are people out there who get some enjoyment and I, sometimes I'll get off a of what I perceive as a joke and one person in the audience will get it mm -hmm. and and contact me about it. And for me, that just makes it completely worthwhile. Yeah, because yeah. I've reached somebody, and I I love the idea. I love I'm theatrical. I'm a theatrical person. Yeah, and I love I love the idea of making someone laugh, mm -hmm. making someone cry, making someone angry about something about a cause. You've done all uh, those things in the past week. I think I think I'm just <laughs> marking a checklist. And it's, and it's and it's only Wednesday, so. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> well, I mean, yeah. the unfortunate thing to me, and and to be brutally honest, is one of the things that was disappointing uh, about the uh, separation from the Mike O'Mara show was uh -huh. that I think, and I don't know if this is even in Mike's defense, but I feel like some of that animosity that he took in from his years in broadcasting extended into the world of podcasting, that maybe that, that was, was just his... You know, his education, his, yeah, his uh, experiences that came uh, to the forefront uh, at people, that point. People who had lofty radio jobs, not just yeah. Mike, but but also Don and, and I'm sure others as well. Mm. People who had lofty radio jobs and then didn't have them anymore. Yeah. Um, uh, sort of... Uh, wanted expected demanded the same things from the podcasting world that the broadcasting world had given them and mm -hmm. it just it doesn't work that way yeah uh this is a much more humble 
medium uh, still. Yeah. And uh, so, you know, it's it's not the same, and you can't expect it to be the same, and you will be uncomfortable and unhappy if you do. Were you satisfied with the reaction to news and comment? Uh, because, again, it is a different environment, and you and I both, I think to a certain extent, and you can absolutely say this about the Mike O'Mara podcast, there's so much radio influence that's brought into the podcasting oh, yeah. world yeah. through your program, through my program. We That's all we know, or at least These speaking for myself. That's, yeah, exactly. I'm, I'm basically doing phone. radio on the internet. <laughs> exactly right. what it is. To quote Silicon Valley on HBO, I'm doing radio on the internet. Is there a resistance to that? Or did you find that, that people were like, you know, podcasting buzz is a different universe. And, I, you know, you'd get oh, notes saying oh, maybe be oh, a little more this or that, which is. No, nothing about notes. Yeah. Uh, older people were obviously more shy about getting into podcasting, although more of them have now. Yeah. Uh, which is great. Uh, so there was that sort of uh, foot dragging at first on, mm-hmm. on the part of older listeners. Uh, it's it just doesn't reach as many people. Yeah. Um, uh, some a few, only a few podcasts uh, reach sort of the the lofty numbers. Hi Stephanie, uh, that that mm-hmm. you get from uh, from radio shows. Yeah. Uh, but uh, yeah, it's 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 in that respect, it's just not the same. And and I was doing a very niche thing. I went from being going from a, a full service show, the Mike O'Mara show to only the people who care about the news part. Yeah, yeah. And so the audience was, for me, was sizably smaller yeah. when, I, when I first began. But it did build over time to a very gratifying level. And uh, certainly you were a big part in helping that happen. See what happens when you help somebody who's on their way up? <laughs> yeah, It's just awesome because they can, they can help you out later. So, and, <laughs> and, and you did, and I'm so grateful for that. And it's, just, it's been a lot of fun. Yeah, you know, I'm happy to have the smaller audience audiences in podcasting than uh, as opposed to broadcasting in exchange for not having to deal with program directors that's yes. the big bonus and that, that and, and the, that. That and the, the intimacy i mean yeah. i've made friends over the years on mm-hmm. social media uh who listen to my shows and and uh have been very very supportive of me uh, both personally and professionally oh my gosh what a gratifying experience that was far more than anything i ex- ever experienced in radio and that was pretty lofty <laughs> So what's next? What do you what do you have planned? Because because obviously we're going to keep working together on Tuesdays. But I alluded to this on on your regular show yesterday that uh, I really haven't had much of a moment to appreciate the fact that I'm retired. Yeah, I did actually go with some friends to safely uh, socially distanced to a beach mm-hmm. on Sunday, which was very nice. Uh, so I got a few hours respite there. But uh, I, I spent a good deal of my time this morning still. Uh, making arrangements for my folks, uh, taking care of little business details for yeah. them. Uh, I'm, I'm in the middle of working on my taxes. I'm going to clean out my garage. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to do the things that I never had time to do because the work that I just finished doing was so all-consuming. Yeah. I mean, you have. I, I, I was. It got to the point uh, in the final days of the Trump administration where I was. My Wednesdays were thirteen-hour days. Uh, that was just. That was powerful. Every Wednesday, I could count on a thirteen-hour day, and it was hard, hard work, gratifying, and I wouldn't have had it any other way. But uh, I'll also tell you, it was hard, mm. and uh, you know, so uh, to be sort of free of those thirteen-hour days is a huge. Uh, it's a chance for me to get caught up on my life, but as far as fun stuff goes, absolutely. And I want to, I want to get back into my ukulele. Yeah, <laughs> I want to, I want to do some writing. I've said before, I want to do some special podcasts. Uh, not ready yet, but mm-hmm. they're they're coming. There, I've got 
I've got stuff on the desktop of my computer right now uh, for specials uh, that I'd like to do. And uh, so I'll, I'll get back to those soon enough, as soon as I, I feel like I've leveled out my life a little bit. Yeah, yeah. But it must be exciting to have sort of a blank slate ahead of oh you. God. I mean, other yeah. than domestic yeah. things, yeah. Because the guy I have been working for uh, was a jerk. And now I'm... I'm <laughs> ah, that's that, right. was, that was me. And now and now I don't work for that jerk anymore. So, uh, yeah, I, my time is more my own, or at least it will be when I get some of these other things taken care of. Well, congratulations on 49 years. And uh, apologies to people <laughs> with obsessive compulsive disorder that you didn't get to 50. And Because uh, <laughs> everyone's going, oh, 49, Buzz, why couldn't you make it 50? Nice I, one, I'm one of those. I'm one of those people. But you know, it was it was the time, and and I've laid out the story of what I plan to do, but except for the fact that I I got sidetracked, and even the fact that I had to go to Kansas to take care of my folks in that final month. Yeah. Um. Uh, you know, I'm I'm happy. I'm satisfied with the ending. I got to tie up the story in a pretty neat bow, both mm -hmm. for myself and for my career and, and for the story that I've been covering so intensely yeah. over the last five years. Uh, and so I'm satisfied that I did get to write the ending that I wanted to write. What an incredible ending, too. The fact that your last four years doing this was this gigantic existential crisis in American yes. politics. I mean, right. you couldn't Democracy. ask for a better denouement of your entire uh, uh, broadcasting <laughs> career. Somebody said on Facebook, you know, way to retire, Buzz. Way to retire. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, when, I, when I announced when it would be, uh, they said, yeah, that's how you do it. That's well, okay, my friend. It was an absolute pleasure. I could listen to these stories all damn day. In fact, uh, you're very, very lucky that I haven't gone back and, and tried to get recaps on some of the details in and amongst there. We could have been doing you know, this for another three hours. You know, they're not going to let you smoke marijuana when you get up to <laughs> Minneapolis. That's right. Oh, <laughs> shit. Oh, the good I, old I, days. And, and, and I have to say, I am so proud of you and uh, of all your work. Oh, thank you. And, and uh, so grateful for what you've done and said for me. Uh, I have not stopped repaying you. Oh, well, I, I am so immensely, immensely grateful, not only for that, but of course for, you know, your patience, your tutoring, your just listening to me whine incessantly when I was first starting out in radio. <laughs> why why am I like not that. getting hired, Buzz? I don't understand. Even though I was working at a radio station, I don't know what I was complaining about. <laughs> you know, no, no I, I understood perfectly. And, and, you know, there's another phenomenon, just before we go, another phenomenon I discovered yeah. uh, in my career, and it's true of any career. Uh, one of my interns in Chicago came to me one day and said, uh, she said, I just got hired at uh, such and such radio station, a good uh, station, yeah. good job. And uh, I said, I, I know what's bothering you because I knew she was troubled. Yeah. And I said, I, I know what's bothering you. I said, you, you got hired and you don't think you're qualified, do you? <laughs> and she said, how did you know? And I said, I feel that way every time I got a job. <laughs> Right, yeah. See, I feel that way every time I turn my microphone on. So that's, so that's uh, something I think all of us, regardless yeah. of our careers, may have in common. Yeah, oh yeah. Uh, is thinking we're not up to it and then finding out that we really are. Oh my God, rampant yeah. strain of job insecurity, constantly. <laughs> per emotional insecurity in there, too. That's a, that's right. a commonality. Every single DJ I have ever, ever met has yes. had the same personality and psychological profile as me. Love me. <laughs> yeah, love me. Exactly. Please love me. Yeah, it, right. Right, right. That's why, ultimately, if you boil it right down, that's that's why we do it. That's why we do it. My friend, I, I love you so much, and thank uh, you for everything, and uh, I, I can't wait to talk to you again on Tuesday. 
And I can't wait to talk to you again more off the air too, because yeah. uh, we are we are friends and we've got stuff to stuff to exchange. So uh, I look forward you to that. Yeah, lots thank more. Thank you for. I have lo- you for lots this more. And- lots more whining to do, Buzz. <laughs> Good. I look forward to it. <laughs> okay. I I relish I relish your whining. Uh, <laughs> All right. Thank you, Bob. This was wonderful. Thank you. Best of Marsha. We'll talk to you soon. Take care. Bye bye.